As I said, I hope you're feeling refreshed from the summer. Um, this term is a very exciting one. We've got big plans, we've got big hopes, we've got big dreams for what God wants to do. Um, just put my first, um, put the slides up for me. Um, as you know, we're on this journey of leading our communities into life. God has been speaking to us very much over the last couple of years about the vision for this church, about what God wants us to do. Um, next week, I'm going to share with you um, about a really fantastic and exciting um, building project. We wanna, we, we've got some big dreams for what we do with this building. I'm not going to tell you about it today. This is a trailer. <laughs> this is a spoiler for next week. So I'm not going to give you any more details but um, we all, even just the building project is only part of it. Um, but what we are going to be doing, uh, continuing to step upon all these things that we believe God has asked us to do. He, we believe He's asked us to grow gathered environments. Gathered environments meaning these things, services. We, we've, we, we want to um, see more people come and meet God in his presence and in our presence with us. He's asked us to continue to release scattered servants. We've just talked about that um, just now. And to host and steward the presence of God. All of that is real big vision stuff that God is talking to us about. As you know, two weeks' time there's a baptism. We'll be hearing stories. There's a quiz night. Invite your friends. The week after that there's a community games event over at Bar End. And uh, we'll be telling you about that as well. However, oh... And in October, we've got a 24-7 prayer week planned. And then the life groups kick off. There is loads of stuff happening. Which is why, this morning, I want to begin this new term simply by talking about how, as followers of Jesus, we connect with him. This morning, we're going to look at the Bible together in John chapter 15 and verse 5. It's actually written out on your sheets, so you don't even need to turn to it if you don't want to. Um, And I've got it on the screen there as well. Let's just read these three verses together. They're pretty well-known verses. Um, This is uh, Jesus talking. And he says, and he's describing the relationship that he has with his followers in terms of, using a picture of, a vine and branches. And he says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. And if you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you don't remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to me, my disciples. Fruit trees are often talked about in the Bible. They're part of the culture and they're great metaphors for Christian life. Even the the Vineyard Church, the church that we're part of, got its name from the metaphor, because, uh, you know, from a a vineyard, a vine, it's a metaphor for what goes on in a healthy church. There are the growing, there's the growing of fruit on branches which are connected to the vine. And Jesus talks about how he is the vine and we are are the branches. And you can see the difference. You can see the difference on the diagram that's on your, pay, on your sheet. And you can also see the difference here. There, there's a difference between the vine, which is this sort of thick part, excuse me, <coughs> oh, sorry, and the branches off of which the fruit is growing, the, the grapes. And Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches, and the fruit grows from you, from us, the branches. What kind of fruit are we talking about? What's, what does that mean, fruit in our lives? What is a fruitful life? Well, I don't know about you, but I want to make a difference in my life. I want to reflect all of God's glory 
all of his personality, all the stuff that he's made and put in me, I want to see that impact on others. That's what I mean by being fruitful. And the key to being fruitful, Jesus says, is to remain in him. He says, if you remain in me and I remain in you, then you'll be fruitful. Now, branches and vines need to remain in one another for this whole thing to work. Yeah, the fruit grows from the branches. The branches gain their nourishment from the vine. But it really isn't just a one-way relationship. It's a two-way relationship. Because the vine wouldn't be able to grow fruit or express itself if the branches weren't there. You can't grow grapes straight off the vine. You have to grow them on the branches. You see what I'm saying? So this isn't like one of those, like, you know, for example, Jesus isn't saying just receive from me, suck from me. You know, it's not like the whole sort of a baby in a womb just drawing from its mother. It's a two-way thing. He's saying, you remain in me, I remain in you, and we are properly connected. And that leads to fruitfulness. If things are working right, then Jesus is just as much a part of me as I am a part of him. Think about that for a while. It's pretty profound. How do we do that? How do we do that? Just take a minute now to pause and reflect and ask yourself this question. How do I remain in God? What best helps me stay connected with God? Now, if you're an external processor and it helps you to talk about it, then turn to your neighbor and talk about it. But if you're not an external processor and you just want to think, then just take a moment to think. And maybe if you've got a pen, jot a note down. By the way, the reason I give you these notes is there's a lot of things to remember this morning, but you are allowed to write on them. So anything that comes to you, just jot that down. What is it? Just take a minute. What is it for you that most or best helps you stay connected with God? What is it? Just take a minute and do that and have a think or have a chat to your neighbor. What's the thing? Might be more than one thing. What is it that you do that helps you best connect with God? Is there anybody brave enough to share one with me? Anyone want to tell us? I'm not going to force you to, but... What do, you, what do you do that helps you connect with God? There's no right or wrong answers for this, by the way. You worship. Okay, thank you. Kev? Same thing, worship. Anybody got anything else? Yes. Being outside in the countryside helps me connect with God. Will? Journaling, writing things down. Okay. Yep, I'm with you on that score. One or two more? With like-minded people. Have you been reading my notes? No, no. Okay, good. Thank you. And one more? Yes, go for it, Pete. Giving thanks. Brilliant. Okay. So as you can see, a lot of us, there, there are different ways to connect with God, and we are unique. Everyone is unique. And one of the things, one of the biggest lessons I've learned in my life is that I don't have to connect with God in the same way as other people do, 
There isn't just one legitimate way to connect with God. Everyone is unique. And one of the biggest mistakes we can make is to start comparing ourselves with other people. Now, if you're here and you don't have a faith background, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you're just checking it out, maybe you've been led to believe that the only way to connect with God is to come to church, to act in a certain way, to wear a certain dress code, and to pray in a certain way, and to, you know? How many people experience that in their lives at all? A few. What about, maybe you are a believer, and you were brought up in a culture where everyone was expected to connect with God in a certain way. And you were taught that the only way to connect with God was, I don't know, maybe it was through hours and hours of Bible study, or was it very, maybe it was very serious or very strict. Anybody relate to that? Few people. And, that, uh, and, and maybe that just didn't suit your personality. Well, it didn't suit my personality, I'll tell you. Maybe, maybe as a result of that, you either rebelled against it, or... Maybe, just maybe, you had to suppress a certain part of your character in order to fit in. I remember going to a conference and hearing a guy called Pete Gregg speak years ago. And he talked about young people in the church. And he said, you know, the thing is, most young people, he said, have a, have a, has a sort of creative arm. You know? And, uh, and he said, and, and, most, and, and what happens quite a lot of the time is they encounter the church culture. And the church culture says, oh, there isn't room for that. And so they have a decision to make. Either they leave the church so they can go and express their creative arm somewhere else, or they cut off their arm or suppress it in order to fit in with the church. As soon as he spoke this out, I burst into tears because I realized that had been my experience, that I had basically suppressed some of my creativity just to fit in with the culture around me. And that's not right, is it? See, God isn't so narrow-minded as to think that there's only one way to relate to people. How many of us, this is an easy question, how many of us are satisfied with the way that we connect with God? Or would like, let me rephrase it, how many, of, how many of us would like to connect with God more? For some of us, a lifetime of poor thinking makes genuinely remaining in him and us quite a hard thing to do. Maybe we've set off a second best. And the truth is God has made each of us unique. He's given us each different characters and different personalities. So why would he relate to us just in one way? I have three children. They're all wonderful and fantastic. And they're very different in their personalities. They're very different in their interests and their hobbies. And as their dad, one of the things I love to do is to spend time with them. And so what I've done is I've found ways to relate to each of my children based on their personality and the things that they like to do. Now, one of them, who will remain nameless, um, likes going around charity shops and vintage stalls. And so if I want to hang out with her, then... <coughs> Sorry, did I say that? Sorry, she's, she's helping in the, in the kids today. <laughs> Sorry, Becky. Um, she also loves musicals. So if I want to hang out with her, then I, I need to go around the vintage stores and charity shops. Not really my first choice, but I really want to do the things with her that make her happy and be her dad in that. Yeah? yeah? Now, another of them, my son, Zach, who's here, sorry, mate, he loves playing music and watching movies and going on bike rides and going to gigs. And so we do that together. And my little one, JJ, he just loves everything to do with football. I have no interest in football. <laughs> I mean, I'm, uh, he's, people say, well, who do you support? Well, I said, well, I, I was brought up in Leeds. I used to be a Leeds United supporter, at which point all football supporters either laugh or just look very pitiful at me. Um, 
but but my son likes Chelsea, so I'm finding out who the Chelsea players are, and we're watching match of the day together, and 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 you know it's quite interesting. Um, I have some fundamental problems with football, but <laughs> football culture. But aside from all that, those of you who are parents know that as you've observed your children grow in their different personalities and interests, if you want to stay involved in their lives, then you have to find different ways to relate to them, right? And if I can do that with my three, then how much more can my heavenly father do that with his seven and a half billion? How much more? I used to live with a guy, uh, we used to share a house together. He was one of my best friends, he was my best man at my wedding. And um, when we lived together, um, he was a fourth year medical student. Now, medical students, those of you who are doctors, that's a hard gig, okay? Passing all your exams to become a doctor, I mean, it's probably a good thing that it's a hard gig, but, but it's a hard gig. He was structured and organized, okay? He was, he was really disciplined in his life, which is how he got to pass all those exams and become a great doctor. And also, he was disciplined in his life, and so he used to get up early and read the Bible every day and have his quiet time. I was a musician. Okay, I didn't ever get up early if I, couldn't, if I didn't have to. I worked late, played late, and got up late, and I was not, I've never ever been that disciplined in my life. And yet I used to compare my relationship with God with his. I learned pretty quickly that that wasn't going to get me anywhere. And that if I just thought badly of myself because I couldn't get up early to relate with God that way, you know, that didn't mean I was a second class Christian. That didn't mean God loved me any less. And some of us have done that, haven't we? We've beaten ourselves up about this stuff. We said, oh, I don't get up as early as that person. I don't read the Bible as much as that person. I don't pray as much as that person. Well, it's just not right, that stuff. That thinking is wrong. And Bill Hybel says this, God wants to know the real you, not a caricature of what somebody else wants you to be. He created you with a certain personality and a certain spiritual temperament. God wants your worship according to the way he made you. Now, there are many different ways to relate to God. And I just want to present very briefly Nine different pathways, and these come from a couple of books. Um, there's one book uh, on the right called Sacred Pathways by Gary Thomas, and then it's sort of um, packaged down into a chapter of this book by Bill Hybels, um, which is called Courageous Leadership, just one particular chapter. And he talks about these different pathways, and I just want us to look at briefly at nine different types of pathways which we might follow to connect with God. They're not exhaustive. There may be others. I'm not going to stay on each one very long. And you have some notes, but hopefully you'll be able to relate to this. And they're not in any particular order either. But the first one, as somebody already mentioned, is the relational pathway. See, Matthew 18, 20 says, if two or three of you are together because of me, well, you can be sure that I'll be there. And some people, now some people love to be alone. Are you one of those people? Maybe you are, maybe you aren't. Me, I'm not much of that kind of a person. I think I'm probably more of an extrovert. Not a class, not, I don't mean an extrovert in the I'm always loud and I'm always on and boisterous. I mean, I generally recharge by being with people and not by being on my own. I like times on my own, I need them. But I generally be recharged by being with people. Most people, that is. You can tell who the relational people are because they're the ones who are still here at one o'clock when someone's trying to lock the building after church. <laughs> You know, sometimes their husbands or wives are in the car park, in the car, please come home. (laughs) People who connect best with God, says Hybels, on the relational pathway, well, they just feel a sort of spiritual dullness 
when they're on their own, when they try and walk alone with God. And when people with a relational pathway acknowledge it and lean into it, then they begin to just come alive spiritually and flourish in ways that they never could have if they tried to go it alone. So if this is you, I just want to encourage you, don't beat yourself up for not being able to do solitude well. I mean, yeah, we all need to know, be still and know that I am God, but we're not all wired that way. I'm not just talking about social time. I'm talking about good friendship that's connecting with God and connecting with others. So if that's you and you're looking for ways in which you could invest in your relationship with God, what about just organizing a little retreat and taking people on it? What about connecting with others to pray regularly? And even if you can't do it physically in the room, what about using Skype or something like that just to connect? Ten minutes, just pray together. Maybe you need the... Maybe you need the the um, encouragement and the sort of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Maybe you just need someone else to come alongside you and do it with you. So if that's you, think about that. That's the relational pathway. Let's talk about the intellectual pathway. Are you the kind of person that really loves to fully engage your mind? You love to fully engage your mind. Do you hear a talk in church and you start asking questions like, I wonder where the substance of that is. Where's that in the Bible? What's he talking about? Do you ever go and look up a Bible passage in your study Bible or your commentary? Or do you just like asking questions? Is there anybody who can relate to that? Guess what? You're not weird. (laughs) It's in the Bible. God loves us to use our minds. Psalm 49, it's written there. I set plain spoken wisdom before you. My heart seasoned understandings of life. I fine tuned my ear to the sayings of the wise, and I sold life's riddle with the help of a harp. Gary Thomas says, a professor of biology can love God with his mind every bit as much as a professor of systematic theology. Since God created all, any study that explores, examines, and explains the natural world can shed some light on the nature of our God and help us to know him any better. And I would apply that to any field of study. So all of you engineers, all of you academics, all of you teachers, all of you who are just fascinated in one particular subject, go for it. God created you that way. The Apostle Paul talks about how we renew our minds. I remember when I first started um, on this whole journey of theology, I never thought I could write an essay or um, read a sort of heavy theology book. And my friend Simon taught me, he said, we'll sit down with a systematic theology and we'll just read one chapter at a time. Now, I'm a a rubbish reader. I had to underline underline virtually every line, every word, so that I'm actually doing something which is helping me take it all in. Because, I mean, Paul here, he can read a book in about two hours. You know, just sit there and it all goes in, right? He's amazing. I can't do that. I have to sit there and I have to underline the words. And You know, you'll read a page and they'll go... Oh, that didn't go in. Go back again and write notes and all sorts of stuff. But actually, when I did it, um, it was absolutely amazing. My colleague, Simon, my friend, he said to me, oh, it's like taking a... Doing this with me was like taking a kid to a candy store. Because I suddenly started to realize that my faith that I'd practiced for 20 or 30 years came alive in a whole different way as I started to really understand the Bible. So for me, that was a big deal. It's not a natural thing, but it was a really great thing to do. And I've learned some... Wonderful stuff. And some of my most profound encounters with God have been as I've been reading and writing. Not like this, but like this. You know? And um, what about you? If that's you, what are you doing to invest 
in that part of your life, in that part of your relationship with God. You know, Neil's starting a life group this term to look at the end times. Maybe that's something that you could get stuck into. A little bit of, little bit of uh, in-depth study. Or maybe there are other ways. I'm going to move on. As you can see, I'm kind of rushing through these things. The serving pathway. There's a story in the Bible, in the book of Esther, about a guy called Mordecai. I can't read the whole story, but let me read to you just a a summary of it. It says, the portrait painted of Mordecai in the book of Esther is the portrait of a man who deeply and profoundly cares about others and freely pours out his energy to help them. The first picture of Mordecai in Esther 2, 7, is where we learn that he raised her after she was orphaned by a forced relocation of her parents. It says in there that Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother had died. Now, there are some people who just come alive in Jesus when they're serving others. It's, much more, it, it's, it's more simple and profound than people who are just doing things to get their needs met. Do, do you get me? Do you get the difference? Sometimes we just want to help others because it makes us feel better about ourselves. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people who just love to serve. They're just made to do that. There's a genuine relating to God that's going on by being part of other people's journeys. We saw this in the life of Jesus. We see it in the life, we saw it in the life of Mother Teresa. How many people do you know who just have the wonderful gift of hospitality? You know, I look around, I know some of you have it, I know you. I'd start calling you out, but you might get embarrassed. There are some of you who just love to host people. You just love to make cakes, you just love to welcome people and create, create an environment in which people feel welcomed. Or you just love to help people who are in need. You know, my parents used to take in sort of students and waifs and strays, and we had all sorts of people coming and living with us. Um, we, had a, we had a guy who, um, who was a, um, an asylum seeker who basically has become, basically became part of our family for quite a long time. Showing care and concern was just part of how they related to God. And that's the same for some of us here. Maybe it's compassion. Now, if this is you... I have a list of things, it's at the bottom of your sheet, that you might consider doing. It's a bit small, sorry about that, I had to fit it all in. To get closer to God through service. This isn't a prescription, by the way. There's just a list of things. Maybe you'd like to think about adopting a prisoner or helping a friend through a crisis or lending someone some money. Or working in a soup kitchen or counselling at a pregnancy centre or repairing someone's house or helping someone figure out their computer system. Whatever, or watching the children of some tired parents, whatever it is, consider how you could invest in your relationship with God through the serving pathway. There are all sorts of ways you could do that. Are you with me so far? Great. You've all gone very quiet. Number four, that's a good job because we're coming to the contemplative pathway. Okay. Now, some of you just love to contemplate. Mark chapter 1, talking about Jesus, it says, While it was still night... Way before dawn, he got up and he went out to this secluded spot and he prayed. And Simon and those who, went, who were those with him went looking for him. And when they found him, they said, oh, everyone's looking for you. Where did you go, Jesus? He says, I just came to be with my father. Now, some of us feel like we're kind of marching to a different drum than everybody else. And we feel kind of out of step with the world because actually the truth is we just really value some solitude in our lives. We really value just some time with God, some time with the Bible, maybe poems and journals. And 
books. Maybe we find we're just regularly drained by relationships and activities. That's okay. Are you someone who spends hours just simply reflecting on the goodness of God? If that's true, then you probably have a rich and deep inner world, which is an amazing and wonderful thing. Maybe that means that you need extra grace for certain people in certain situations. You know, John the Baptist was like this in the Bible. He hung out in the desert. I couldn't hang out in the desert. I couldn't live there. But I do love to go on retreat for just a few days when things get a bit busy. I once went on a retreat for four days, and uh, I absolutely loved it. I couldn't go on my own. I needed a book. I needed my iPod to listen to some music. I needed to go on walks. I couldn't just sit in the one room contemplating, you know, for the whole day. I couldn't do that. But contemplatives need time and need to spend time out of the mainstream. That's, that's, what, that's how it is. And, um, you know, there's a list here. Again, it's not a formula, but just some ideas. If you're that kind of a person, maybe you could consider one or two of these secret acts of devotion, something that you could do without telling anybody, but just to show God that you were devoted to him on your own. So it was, maybe it's an like, anonymous gift of cash or... You write a poem to God and then you just burn it or you get rid of it. You don't need to show it to anyone. Maybe it's a secret walk or a night vigil. Maybe you like writing songs. You just sing them in your own room. They're not for anybody else to hear. Or a symbol of your love for God. Something that you carry with you all the time. If that's you, how is God encouraging you to keep investing in your relationship with him? That's the contemplative pathway. How about the activist pathway, as if by complete contrast? Let me read you just part of a chapter by uh, Bill, uh, Bill Hybels, who's, the, um, who's a very well-known um, church leader in America, written some great books, leads a fantastic church. Bill Hybels says this, Unlike contemplatives, activists are at their best at a speed of Mach 2. They're happiest when white-knuckled and gasping for breath. Because of the wiring... They need, because of their wiring, they need, actually, they revel in a highly challenging environment that pushes them to the absolute edge of their potential. It's when they're right on that edge that they feel closest to God. In fact, they feel so close to God that they invoke his name with great sincerity. Oh God, oh God, oh God. Do you think that God made a mistake when he wired some leaders this way? If you do, be careful because the church of Jesus Christ wouldn't be what it is today without some of these characters in the past. Read about John Wesley. The guy was a ministry maniac. Learn about George Whitfield. He preached himself into near exhaustion throughout the course of his life. And then there was D.L. Moody, who kept all his associates wondering about how one person could do all that he did. These people ran the whole of their lives just full on for God. And Hybels, and later in the chapter, he kind of admits that he's one of them too. Which is why I put his picture up there. Anybody here can relate to that? You just love to be going, 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 going. You know? And that's how you are. That's how God made you. And if that's you, God bless you. <laughs> we'll pray for you afterwards. <laughs> what about the creation pathway? Naturalists come alive when they're surrounded by natural splendor. I'm not talking about naturists. That's something different altogether. I'm talking about naturalists. 
You know, some of you, somebody said it earlier, just for some of you being in a, for some of us being in a natural environment dramatically increases our awareness of God. You know, Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. On it goes. Romans 1.20, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. You can look at the world around you and you can be inspired to worship God. Now, my wife Jo, she studied biology. She knows the names of plants. I have no clue. I've I saw this brilliant tree down on the water meadows. This one here. I thought I should really know what kind of a tree that is, but it, you can't see it too well with the light here. There's a little bench down here, and I was walking down there the other day, and I sat on this bench, and it sort of half hangs over the river, and it half hangs over the grass. And I, I you know, I, I, I'm really not. I, I mean, I love, I love a bit of peace and quiet, and I, I like a walk, but I'm not one of these total. Oh, God is here in the countryside. That's not me. <laughs> God bless you if it is. But that just isn't me. However, Joe, she loves that. I have to sort of, you know, when she gets grumpy, I have to go for a walk, <laughs> you know. Go for a walk. You'll feel much better. You'll feel closer to yourself. You'll feel closer to God. And, um, or maybe you're a bit like someone, you know, I also, maybe you can relate to someone like Bear Grylls. You, you know, he's, he's, out, he's out there. It's not about standing there contemplating nature. It's about there getting close to nature and riding a, climbing a mountain or climbing a tree or just going out on your bike for a long walk or jumping off some crazy waterfall. Or You just want to explore. You want to be where God is in nature. Great hymn writers, they knew all about this. You know, there's that hymn, when, when through the woods and forest glades I wander. And... I knew this guy called Brenton Brown, and he wrote a song called Lord Rain in Me. Lord Rain in Me. And it starts like this. Over all the earth, over something. Oh, the name on high. Uh, I've got that bit. I missed a bit out. Every mountain stream, every sunset sky. And he told me that he wrote it. Now, I met him. He lived in Oxford and England and London, but before that, he'd grown up in Cape Town. He said, where do you think I wrote this song? Was it in Cape Town or was it in England? Mountain streams, you know, all of that, you know. As I said, truthfully, this this isn't really me massively. But if it's you, what are you doing to invest in it? What are you doing to invest in it? I'm nearly done. You can see that I've got three more and I'm not going to say much. Oh, there you go. Thank you. Oh, well, you're you're so ahead of me. Every mountain, thank you. The worship pathway. Maybe you just long to worship. At least two people said that when we started this talk, that you long to be in the presence of God. Sunday morning like this morning is great, but you know, you just want more. It's good, it's good, but it's not good enough, or it's not enough. You know, maybe, maybe what you need to do is just worship some more. Go to another church, or go to, go to, don't move to another church. Go. (laughs) What? Put a CD on. <laughs> Go to a conference. King David in the Bible, he was into this. Just dancing before the Lord. Just dancing before the Lord. Maybe it's art or just your senses that help you connect with God. Some people just see the world completely differently. Let me just read you a bit by Henri Nouwen, who is a, a really um, well-known writer. He, he's a priest and prolific writer on the spiritual life. And he just finished an exhausting lecture tour. And he was dead tired, so much so that he could barely walk, he said. He was anxious, lonely, restless, and in his words, very needy. And as he visited the office of a friend, he came across a reproduction of Rembrandt's The Return of the Prodigal Son. 
Stunned by the painting's power and beauty, he told his friend, it's beautiful, more beautiful, more than beautiful. It makes me want to cry and laugh at the same time. I can't tell you what I feel as I look at it, but it touched me deeply. It touched me deeply. Now, again, I'm not massively an art fan or historian. I know another version of The Prodigal Son by an artist called Charlie Mackesee. Oh, this one's the prodigal daughter version. And this one really touches me. And I have it such that I have it on my desk. You know? And sometimes it's all I can do is just to look at these things and contemplate them. And the artist, that artist, Charlie Mackesee, he said this. He said, I guess for me it's all about wonder. And everyone has their own way of feeling or expressing it. G.K. Chesterton said, at the back of our brains... There's a forgotten blaze or burst of astonishment at our own existence. And the object of the artistic and spiritual life was to dig for this submerged sunrise of wonder. He says, I guess when you dig, eventually you find something, however awkward it may sound. And with all the subcultural religious stuff that comes up with it, ugh, he says, with all of that in, hand, in mind, I discovered that for me, the doorway to the sunrise of wonder was Jesus Christ. So we have to be careful not to idolize beauty and art. And maybe not just to appreciate either, but to create it. Photos, videos, movies, textiles, food. And last but not least, tradition or ritual or symbol. See, Abraham built altars at key places. He was seeking to put a form around his faith. For centuries, the church has been Exploring ritual and symbol and sacrifice. Symbols help us to preserve a moral memory, which is so essential to right living. That's what um, one of those books says. So maybe it's the Bible, maybe it's a, some sort of calendar, maybe it's a prayer rule or an ancient pathway or a declaration. Something I bought when I was um, back in Israel was just one of these. It's a tiny little holding cross. And all I do is I carry it in my pocket. I don't manage to remember to do it every day. But when I do, I just love the idea that I'm holding the cross. And particularly when things are tough, that I'm holding on to the cross. That's just one thing that I do. Another thing that might help is, if you've ever been up to the top of St. Catherine's Hill, there's a labyrinth up there. It's like a sort of big maze, but it's, it's not really a maze. It's just a very long, complicated route from the edge into the middle. And the idea is that it recreates a sort of pilgrimage or spiritual journey. And I've been up there two or three times when I've just really needed to connect with God. And I've started, and you just walk around this maze, and as you go in, you're just kind of confessing your sin, and you're just telling God all the stuff that's on your mind, and you're kind of emptying yourself. You're kind of throwing yourself, throwing it all off, and you're, you're doing this. And you know, it takes ages if you walk it, <laughs> if, you, if you're not careful. Um, and, and as you do that, you become, to come, become more aware of God's presence, and then you get to the middle of the maze, and you just rest in the presence of God. And it's wonderful. Not maze, labyrinth. It's not a maze at all. <laughs> and then you turn around, you start to walk out the other way. And as you walk out, you say to God, right, listen, just speak to me. Speak to me. I'm listening. What do you want to say? It's a really profound experience. And it just, I mean, it's just, it's, just, it's just a root on the top of a hill. There happens to be one up there. Try it. I had this friend, I'm almost done, but I had this, uh, this guy I knew in Birmingham years ago. And he was on my um, children's team. He's a lovely guy. He served. He, he got there. He, he worked hard. He was great with the kids. But, but there was, I just felt that he, he lacked an edge in his faith. There was a, the sort of passion for God just wasn't there. 
He tried really hard, and I talked to him about it a few times. And he said, it's just as simple as this. He said, I, I just can't feel God. I can't really feel anything. There's nothing there. One day he came in, he was really upset and frustrated, and he said, I just can't feel God. I just don't know if this stuff is real anymore because I just can't, I can't relate to it. Um, um, me and my buddy were there, and we, we were like, well, we'll pray for you. So we prayed for him. We asked God's spirit to fill him, and he said, thank you for praying. I'm not, I'm not sure what to do. So we, we said, well, what, what makes you feel more, more, most at peace with yourself? He said, well, I just love going for a long walk. So we said, well, why don't you just do that? Go for a long walk. So anyway, I heard back from him later. He, he, he drove his car. Uh, this is, he saw us in the morning, and he had the rest of the day off. He drove his car to one of the hills. He drove up the hill, and he says, and I, um, I went for a walk, and I was wondering what to do. So I, just, I sat on a bench. I got two sticks, and I laid them on the ground to make a cross shape, and I just sat there. He said, and I sat there looking at that for six hours. And after six hours, I felt like God met me. Isn't that amazing? You can do all the sort of prayer meetings and worship stuff in church, but for some people, the way that God needs to meet them is just by getting them up on a hill, looking at a little cross made out of two old sticks. Isn't that amazing? And the truth is that every one of us is unique. Every one of us is unique. That isn't all, there are more pathways. Maybe sport is your pathway. You know, there's a great quote from Chariots of Fire by Eric Little. When I run, I can feel God's pleasure. Maybe there are others. Mine are a combination of three or four of those. Journaling is one. I love to listen to music. I have special playlists that I try and listen to. An audio Bible. I like to walk. I like to just sit in space. Let me read you this summary by Gary Thomas. Abraham had a religious bent, building altars everywhere he went. Moses and Elijah had an activist streak in their various confrontations with the forces of evil and in their conversations with God. David celebrated God with an enthusiastic style of worship while his son Solomon expressed his love for God by offering generous sacrifices. Ezekiel and John described loud, colourful images of God. John, by the way, is talking about the book of Revelation. Stunning in sensuous brilliance, Mordecai demonstrated his love for God by caring for others, beginning with the orphaned Esther. Mary of Bethany is the classic contemplative, just sitting at Jesus' feet. How many of you can relate to one or more of these pathways that I have, uh, that I have mentioned this morning? Great. Well, very simply, and this is on your sheet, the homework for today is to go and think about that and then just work out how you're going to lean into that. If you want to connect with God, then figure out what the best ways for you to connect with God are and do them. And be freed and released from the idea that there's only one way to connect with God or that the way that another person connects with God is the way that you have to or need to. And just because you don't, you're a bad person or in any less in God's eyes. Does that make sense? Why don't we stand together? Why don't we stand together? Why don't we pray? God, we just want to be people who remain in you and whom you remain in. We want to be like the branches on the vine, connected to the source of life, fruitful in our everyday lives. And Lord, for those of us 
who struggle in this area, for those of us who don't, who find it difficult to really connect in with you, speak to us right now, I pray. Holy Spirit, inspire us just to find the practical ways in which we can invest in our relationship with God so that we can go deeper and deeper with you. Holy Spirit, come. And I feel like the Spirit is just wanting to just speak affirmation to many of us. He says, you, you know, one of the things that I've talked about this morning and you've gone, oh, that's me, that's me. And he says, you're not weird. You're not, you don't have to be different or out of the loop in any way. This is how I've made you. I've created you unique. I love you uniquely and I love to hang out with you uniquely. And for some of us, we're just sensing the spirit, just helping us to receive that affirmation from the Father. And if that's you, just go with it. Go with what God is saying.